Have you ever noticed that sometimes even more important than what someone says is how they say it? Have you ever noticed that sometimes we say things and we don't even know what's going on inside of ourselves as we say them? Well, we take a unique approach to this question today, actually looking at the whole question of what happens in the moment in a conversation, in counseling or over coffee. And we look at it through the lens of existential psychology. This is a return to our Best of Psychology podcast, in which we recognize that biblical counseling as a movement has done a lot of good work thinking about the challenges that we have for secular psychology. But I wanted to add a voice on the other side saying, what is it where we've seen secular psychology give us things, give us thoughts that are helpful? And we hope that you enjoy today's conversation. Listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Hi, welcome to CCEF On The Go. I'm your host, Alistair Groves, and today my guest is Rick Roadheaver. He is just finishing up his PhD at Southern Seminary, working with existential psychology. He's also the pastor of Christ Community Church in Laguna Hills in California. Um, I tried to ask him about the exact nature of his research, and he gave me the, the title or the topic of of his PhD, and so I'm going to let him say a little bit more about what his topic even is, because I'm just going to butcher it if I try. But Rick, thank you so much for being here with me today on our Best of Psychology series. Uh, I would love to get a little bit better sense of what it is you've been studying, uh, what you've taken from that, but will you start us simply by saying, uh, here's what my actual thesis was in, and uh, and then give us a little bit of a sense of, of what you've been looking at. Yeah, Alistair, thanks for having me this afternoon. I really enjoy to do it. Yeah, so a lot of times um, when people ask what my, my dissertation topic was, and I, I, you know, I have them while I'm talking about biblical counseling, but I tend to lose them right at the word existential. Uh, and so their eyes glaze <laughs> over, and they're not quite sure what to make of that. They start thinking of Nietzsche and uh, philosophy and other things, and they wonder what in the world that has to do with biblical counseling. And really, it stems from the fact that, uh, that there is a whole field in the behavioral sciences called existential psychology. And what I found fascinating about them was that they, they perceive of the counseling relationship, they perceive of the individual very uh, different from the, certainly the majority of psychoanalytic thought or behavioral psychology. Uh, their, their idea basically is that they view people uh, as holistic human beings that shouldn't be looked at and understood through pathology or experimentation, but rather as uh, more than the sum of their parts. In other words, a human being. And instead of looking at those that are ill, let's look at those that are healthy and figure out what should people be from that. And that I found was pretty intriguing. And, and so as I started to study it, I realized that they have an anthropology that was a lot more aligned with the biblical worldview than we would have at first assumed. And so my dissertation work was just kind of comparing the anthropology of existential psychology with biblical counseling, the compare and contrast, in which ways were they strong, in which ways were they weak, what can we glean from them, and, and how can we critique them, so to speak. And 
So it's been something I've been in, you know, living with for the probably the last two and a half, three years, and just finished defending it back in March. And uh, glad to have uh, spent that time there to learn about them, learn from them, but also realize there are just ways that um, uh, biblical counseling is so much superior to those. But it was a good experience. Hmm. Well, uh, congratulations, by the way, on having defended your dissertation back in March. That is a, a joyful thing to have come through. Yeah, it um, is. Will you uh, just actually define one more word while we're doing definitions at the beginning? Sure. Uh, you've used the word anthropology, and that can be another word that uh, not everyone is going to immediately have the same sense of what that means. Why don't you say a little bit of what you mean by their anthropology or a biblical counseling anthropology? Yeah, I think when we talk about anthropology, that's, that's really the bedrock. When we think about counseling people, what is our view of man? Right? And the answer to that question, uh, de depending on how we're going to answer it, is going to take us in all kinds of different direction. Uh, the thing that's intriguing about the existentialists in terms of psychology, as I said, that th they viewed man in ways much more in alignment with a biblical worldview. So uh, biblical counseling, we would view man primarily as a create creature created by God in the image of God. Now, the existentialists would not uh, adhere to him being in the image of God, but they understood that their man was much more, as I said earlier, than the constituent sum of his parts. Man wasn't just pathology. There wasn't just drives and instincts, but there was something different. There was something more. There was a Jack inside of Jack, so to speak, and, and an existentialism, psychologically speaking, was in response to a lot of what they felt was just the, the fragmented views of people that they found in Freud or in Skinner or the people that had come before. Uh, they didn't hmm. like the fact that man was parsed down to his little bits, and they said there, there's something more different about the human experience than these things. And so when we talk about anthropology, it's just how do they understand the human individual? Hmm. Okay. Thank you. That, that, that's helpful, I think, for us to define terms. Um, I know this is a super dangerous question to ask a guy who is fresh off of defending his dissertation here, but <laughs> will you take another 30 seconds and, and give just a little bit more specific contextualization for historically how and when this particular field in psychology developed? Uh, Freud and Skinner and Adler and all these guys found things off, you know, early half of the 20th century, when does existentialism as a psychology uh, come onto the scene? Yeah, so in, in America, it, as a psychology, it doesn't really get introduced until the late 50s by a gentleman by the name of Rollo May. Uh, his book was entitled Existence. And really, existentialism in psychology hit its zenith right about when the whole existential craze hit America. So we're talking the 60s and 70s, uh, a lot of the kind of the hippie movement, counterculturalism, uh, questioning of authority. So as a psychological school, that's when it was most popular. Today, you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone who says, I'm an existentialist in psychology or a therapist. Uh, you'll get a gentleman like Irvin Yalom over at Stanford. Uh, but there aren't very many who will claim that title. But then, at the same time, you'll be hard-pressed to find anyone in that field who's not deeply influenced by existential psychology. So in my research, the reason I wanted to get into it was I wanted to find out what was at the, the foundation of a lot of the ways the behavioral sciences think and feel today. I didn't want to research people who were talking 
talking about its roots, I wanted to go straight to the roots. So it probably hit its zenith in the 60s and 70s, but it's had a far-reaching impact uh, in behavioral sciences and therapy even today. And I think the reality is most people aren't even aware of that impact or the roots of where, why they hold to the kind of views they do in kind of client-centered approaches or thinking about the therapeutic alliance and those relationships. So it, it's because of the existentialists who fit in a broader stream of psychology called humanism. Uh, and that's what they would call the third wave. So you had Freud being the champion of the first wave and guys like Skinner championing the second wave. And then humanism would be marking the third wave of psychology. Okay. Well, uh, you're, you're getting me going in a bunch of different directions, but I'm yeah. going to try to contain myself <laughs> and keep this on some kind of line here. But um, let's, let's dive in. I would love to hear... Give me the, the two or three places where you have most, in digging into this, said, okay, here's an insight or here's a perspective that existential psychology brings that I think is most helpful. Here's, here's something where it's actually giving us uh, a healthy, helpful spurring on as those in the biblical counseling movement where it, it presses us to think well, where they've seen something especially clearly. Um, what would be some of your top places where you found this really helpful or, or where you would like for people doing biblical counseling, listening to a podcast like this to yeah, say, okay, I, right. could, I could take that and, and benefit from thinking about that? Yeah, I think that the very thing, as so much in life, what makes existential psychology such a, 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 a benefit is also the very same thing that makes it a deficiency, right? That's just the way it goes. Sometimes our strengths are our weaknesses, and, that and, and, and that's the same with existential psychology. So their strength, what made them so insightful was that they put a strong emphasis and, and on subjectivity, right? So that people have this huge internal world and worlds that play such an influencing role in their lives. But, but they wouldn't consider it an uh, internal world like a Freud's unconscious mind or some primeval drive instinct, but that people's emotions, their affections, their, their sense of existence has so many more layers to it than we often consider. So, so they're going to go to the individual subjectivity rather than viewing them objectively like a, through a diagnosis or some kind of label of that matter. They're going to look at that individual first. Secondly, they, they pay such great attention to the individual's experience, but, but more so the individual's experience of their experience, if that makes sense. In other words, the fact that people are aware, but they're also aware that they're aware and, and what that reveals about them. And so the way they even conceive of, of uh, speaking with people and understanding them is very unique. Uh, and again, that strength that they bring to that, looking at the subjectivity, someone's affections, emotions, uh, their sense of experience and their experience of that experience has also been some of the problems with existential psychology and why rightly by and large we've ignored it because it's gotten into such such radical subjectivism because they don't have an anchor they don't they're not grounded in any absolute truth they, they reject scripture they reject a, a kind of a supernatural worldview and so it has become right. and devolved into a lot of this radical subjectivism hmm. and yet you're saying there there's been an appreciation for the complexity of human beings, not simply there are many, many mechanical parts in a way that a, a Freud or someone else might have said, oh, look, let's break down the human being into all these pieces. You're saying there's there's something that's been rightly appreciated about the, the, the complex, multi-layered way in which a human being experiences their world and then engages in it. Is that 
Is that fair? Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. And what's interesting, Alistair, is that the, to a man, the founders of the humanistic wing of, of the psychologies, to a man, come from a, either Judeo or a Jewish or Christian background. Now, it might have been liberal, it, it, certainly, mm -hmm. but I find that intriguing that they also brought to the psychologies a view of man very different from their predecessors who, in fact, as you know, rejected any sense of theistic worldview. So it's very interesting that to a man, the people who founded this different anthropology all shared a Judeo-Christian background. Like I said, it might have been, it was very liberal in many cases, but I think that formed the way they approached human individuals and said there is something very different about our view of human personhood than Freud or Adler, these guys who had come before. And that hmm. shaped their anthropology and shaped the way they moved towards people that I think in a lot of ways are very complementary to the way as biblical counselors we want to move towards people and understand their experience. But but we're not going to end with their experience. We're going to take them to the you know absolute truth of what scripture teaches about their experience, which is where existentialists will not go. And that's why they have so many problems, even though they have so many strengths. Right. Give me an example. I mean, will you take that to the grounds? Give me how would you how would you take a deep appreciation for the complexity of a fellow human being? How would, how would that look in an actual conversation or how would that orient your thinking when you heard someone explaining a problem they were having? Yeah. Uh, obviously with a long-term goal of, of running to, to the Lord himself with whatever you uncover. Uh, but but how, would that, how would that impact the way you might talk to someone or listen to them? Yeah, well, that's that's a that's a huge question in a short sentence. There, <laughs> let, let, let me see if I can give you a response that actually makes sense. So, so in a counseling experience or situation, uh, an existential someone with an existential influence might be sitting across, and someone's sharing a deeply. Uh, traumatic or hurtful experience that took place in their life. And, and you've had this experience where people are sharing that, yet they're, they're smiling or they're kind of chuckling. There's this disparity between what they're actually communicating and the way they're, hold, they're holding themselves in that moment. And, and as a, from an existential perspective, we're gonna, they're going to want to zero in on that disparity and say, you know, you're sharing something that's, that's really heartfelt and, and, and it's clearly been a source of hurt yet you're smiling and you're kind of chuckling as you're sharing that with me. You know, you, you, you've had that experience and we'll mm. say, well, I want to know about wh why are you smiling? And, and they're going to zero in on that kind of that, what, well, the word existential, in the moment dynamic and this disparity between something that's so hurtful, yet they're laughing about it. And, and what you'll find out is a lot of times they'll say, well, I, I don't know, or maybe I feel uncomfortable about it, or maybe I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. And, and, and certainly I can say, well, I appreciate that you're trying to not make me feel uncomfortable, that, that you're, you're thinking of my needs, that's good, that's a godly attribute, you don't want, you're thinking of serving me, but are you serving sure. me, are you protecting me from experiencing some, some emotional, something that's difficult because you're, is an act of love for me, or do you think that I won't accept you if I experience this difficult situation with you? And I want to understand, are you protecting me because you're serving me or are you protecting me because you think I won't accept you because you're revealing something hard? And now, obviously, as a biblical counselor, that just opens up vistas of what they did not even realize may have been an issue that that can open up a lot of vistas into the way they're functioning. So really what an existential counselor will want to do is say, yes, information and details and data are helpful, but a lot of what we're going to zero in on is that person in the moment and how they're interacting with you as the counselor. 
And, and so in that sense, it's not so much the, the, the details and content as much as the relationship and the dynamics that's taking place that we want to zero in on. Does that make any, does that make some sense? It, it's making perfect sense and it's, it's getting me going in a couple of different directions. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking yeah. big picture level, it, it seems like the, the insight of um, someone's had an experience and the way they, you know, let's, let's say something really hard happens to you on a given Tuesday morning. You'll probably talk about that differently 20 minutes after it happened than you will the next Tuesday, than you will a year later. I mean, who we are and how we're processing things changes over time and understanding right. not just what happened to you and the fact that that's had an impact, but also how are you in this moment processing that? How much, or not even aware that you're not processing it, or what else is going on inside of you as we're talking about this? Uh, that level of attention to the human being across from you. So rather than, I, I think, I think oftentimes there can be a, at least sort of a default or subconscious perspective for us as people doing ministry, whether it's a formal counseling session or just you're across from somebody at, you know, coffee hour at church, mm -hmm. and you know that something hard has happened to them or something hard happened to them in their childhood or whatever the case might be. And, and probably the default is to think, um, I know that that has impacted them. And if I can figure out how, or if they went to a counselor who could help them figure out how, then they could get better. As opposed to recognizing there's just an incredible complexity and fluidity to human sure. experience. And um, I may actually be more worried about how my counselor is thinking of me than I am about what happens to me that I'm talking about right. at any given moment. And, and understanding as a counselor, if we're going to love someone well, if, you know, Philippians 1.9 says, may your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth mm -hmm. of insight. Okay, if you're going to have knowledge and depth of insight in someone's life, that can't just be about the things and events that have happened to them. It's got to be about who they are as a person right now, right here in front of me in this moment. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's going to be more complexity to that than simply understanding a given set of events or a given set of doctrinal beliefs about those events they may hold in their mind. Yeah. And and you're opening up just a sense of loving somebody uh, is, is, a, is a challenging endeavor. To know someone well involves really hearing them on a number of levels at the same time. Am, am yeah. I tracking with the kinds of things you're talking about? Yeah, and, th and that's what makes you absolutely spot on, Alistair. And that's what makes uh, the study of kind of existential psychology such an elusive task because, you know, we often, when you look at certain psychological modalities, they have techniques and skill sets. Well, the existential psychologist says we, we have very few techniques and skill sets. It's more a way of thinking about the counseling relationship. It's more of approaching that living in the moment dynamic as opposed to we're, we're going to go back into your, your past and look at all these details and try and f interpret that and explain why you're living in the way you are now. It, it's more or less realizing that that person has processed this and they're doing something with it even now. And that what they're doing with right. it is where the action's at. And that so often we, we do tend to miss, especially as, a, as biblical counselors, you know, we have the right answers so often. But because we're so interested in bringing the right answers, we, we, we sometimes short circuit the process of, is this the right answer and the right moment right now? And, and, and that might be different, you know. Because, the, because that, I mean, I think uh, one way to put it would be to say, if I'm understanding you, essentially we may have the right answers to the wrong questions a lot of the time. That's right. And, right. and the, the, answer, the answers you feel you have uh, do have a huge impact on the questions you're listening to here. Yeah. And so when someone can articulate, for example, a, um, 
you know, a, a more than one sentence version of Jesus has died for my sins and that uh, that's what saves me eternally and that's what gives me hope for my life on this earth, um, we may be quick to gloss over the tone of voice in which that gets said um, or the shifting of the body in the chair, as it said, that, that may be telling us there's more going on here than simply someone's ability to articulate certain truths. That, that's exactly right. And a classic, let me, I'll use this as an illustration because this, this can help highlight the, the, the kind of in-the-moment dynamism that we're talking about. So often, you know, when you're meeting with a counselee and they come sit, sit down and maybe you've assigned them some homework or, you know, they, they come in from a hurried day and they're clearly busied and they sit down and you say, how are you doing? And, and they'll immediately say, well, I'm doing fine. And and just kind of blow past. And, and so sometimes you want to stop and say, well, when was the last time you weren't doing fine? You know, it, it, they, they just habitually give a response that's so common in our culture, that, that, but so often we can miss that and go right to the examination of the homework. And, we, and that's what they'll say is the subjectivity. This person is giving a habituated answer, keeping things kind of at a surface level until we can go in to talk about content and information, where we'll want to stop and say, you know, no, you're, you're, let's take a moment and let's process this because you've, you've had a hurried, busy day, you're running late, and, and I want to ask you, when, when was the last time you weren't fine? And I find just in that short moment, we've now brought them, they're aware of the fact that, okay, I'm, I'm actually, maybe I'm not fine. Does that make sense? We want to bring Absolutely. their attention to the subject mo- subjectivity of that moment of, you just give me a habituated answer, but you're not here. That's an automated response. I want to know where you are at. And, and that's the mm-hmm. kind of thing that's hard to distill in a kind of technique, because really what you're thinking about is, this person's responding to me, but they're not responding to me. They're just in autopilot, and I want to get to where they're, they're actually at. So those are the kinds of things that uh, the, the, the kind of the existential psychology is, is helping us think about in that regard. And by the way, that's, that's simply loving someone well. But sometimes we're focused on, how did you do on your homework? Let's get to the content that we're missing the very dynamism of the relationship. That, that, that moment there probably has more grist for our conversation than whatever answer they might have put on my homework sheet. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, just as you're... You're opening a door, uh, which I feel like has probably literally countless yeah. possible implications. I, I'm thinking of, of you know just one, just one thing as simple as, let's say the topic of sin comes mm-hmm. up in a counseling session, or, or let's again counseling, or even just you're 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 speaking with a friend and they are speaking about something that that is wrong that they have done or something wrong at a heart motive level or whatever, and, and they're aware it's wrong, you're aware it's wrong. So it's not, it's not a situation where you're needing to call someone out and help them see that, oh, you know, they've done something that's not good. It's everyone's aware, okay, that this wasn't good. I can just think of so many different ways in which that conversation can happen. So someone can come with a, a sense um, of despair to that conversation, of I am identifying something wrong that I have done, and perhaps it's because I've done it yet again, or it's a, th- a thing I never would have thought of myself as doing, or I didn't even know I was doing it. How can I possibly stop it? But there could be a million different reasons why someone might come with a sense of despair or a sense of fear to identifying sin in their lives, or a sense of anger and resentment against the cause of that, or a sense of minimizing of that sin, or a sense of profound gratitude, because even seeing this sin in my life just instantaneously I'm transported to an appreciation for a grace. It could be a sadness for damage caused, but but to simply say like, oh yeah, we talked about sin or, you know, such and such came up and I, I know that it, 
if you are not looking in the here and now, this other person across from you, you're missing, uh, well, how did you put it? Uh, where the action is at. Uh, yeah. The action yeah. is the faith lives in this moment and the simple content uh, is only part of the story. Yeah. Um, even in a situation where we both agree on a content as significant and as important as what has happened here that was that was sinful or that was wrong. And yeah. that, should, that has to, that must significantly impact your response. You must respond differently to someone who is despairing over their sin yeah. versus someone who is minimizing their sin versus someone who is, uh, you know, who's got tears in their eyes because they are conscious of the joy of being forgiven of that sin. So, yeah, you're exactly right. We, we, we were grateful when people are cognitively aware of their sin, and that's certainly better than not having an awareness or, or owning that sin. But really what we also want is that, that deep heart work felt of, as you are talking about, the repentance, that there's an effective understanding, a, a, as they would say, an existential realization that it was I who did it. And, and that, that repentance goes deeper when it involves the whole man, not just cognitive, but volitionally, that you're going to turn from it, be different, but also effectively that I understand the impact of my sin. And so that's so often, I think, especially if you're dealing with a situation where people are kind of grew up in the church, they know the encultured responses to give. And so if we're just waiting for cognitive response, well, we're probably going to get that. But we really want to get to, do they understand where that's located inside themselves? Do they understand where that's stemming from effectively? And, and that's where I think, you know, in the biblical counseling world, it, certainly in our literature, we understand the, the, the importance of emotions. But what I found is that we, we often don't address a way of saying, how do we develop that in our counseling scenarios? Are there ways that we can help people tap into understanding not just the, the spectrum of emotion, but emotions have a range, right? Uh, people, men have way more than four emotions, right? Tired, happy, hungry, <laughs> and, and, you know, what's it, what, what is it? Happy, angry, tired, and hungry, right? So men have way more than those. Right. There's a whole range and a spectrum. And so that's something that we really want to dive into. And sometimes we're afraid to because that, that is a bit subjective. But I think one of the things we learn from looking at other kinds of psychologies is say, you know, th this is important work to be done. And if anyone understands that, it's going to be a biblical worldview. So we want to move towards that. Hmm. Okay. Well, so let me let me see if I'm summing us up thus far. Basically, yeah. what we're what we're seeing here is this really rich set of insights into human beings who are who are complex, and that means that they are interacting in the moment uh, in ways that they themselves may not be aware of. Yeah. There's this uh, enormous complexity, and as counselors or as as friends, as people who would like to help someone, there's this. Uh, enormous opportunity to be attuned to how is this person experiencing this moment right now? How, yeah. Who are they right here, right now in front of me? Not simply what are their thoughts right now and not simply um, what did they feel 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago, but who is sitting in front of me right now? How can I just, how can that question influence and shape my efforts to then love someone with the compassion of Christ, with the hope of Christ, with the challenge of Christ, whatever the case might be. Is that, is that a fair 
rendering of that's exactly right. What you're learning. So the the counselor counseling relationship that's happening in that moment is just a microcosm of their macrocosm life. And now the situation obviously is very different, but whatever they're doing outside of that relationship with you, chances are they're bringing that in with them as well. And we're going to see that dynamic right in that relationship. And that's the thing we want to zero in on, right? Is that, that the, whatever it is, whatever problems, struggles are that they're having, it's going to manifest right here between you and I. And, and we want to be that whole idea of subjectivity and being alive to the moment. We want to see where those things are taking place and then draw their attention to, to it. You know, draw their attention mm-hmm. to that dynamic so that they can see, oh, this is why I go lights out to the things of God or why I reject when brothers or sisters try to help me see areas where I, I don't see. It's this dynamic that's happening right now. Sure. So it's that, that here in the moment dynamic that we're trying to get at. Right. And, 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 on, and even further, right, this is why the person who finds it really hard to receive encouragement and comfort from brothers and sisters, probably finds it hard to receive encouragement and comfort from God and from Scripture. The person that's, who that's exactly right. is, is suffering deeply and, and doesn't understand that and finds people feel very distant yeah. uh, and don't seem to understand them, probably also, again, feels distant and un- ununderstood by God himself. So that what I see is, is it's just... I'm, I'm getting one lens on this whole person, and I recognize that it's the same whole person that's there in their other relationships, that's there in their relationship with God. Yeah, and I think one of the, one of the advantages of, of, of the biblical counseling movement, what I think we're really good at is, is what, what I call, the, what the reformers called the high-handed sins, right? Where there's this kind of consciousness of, there's a kind of moral fork in the road to choose left is to choose what's wrong, to choose right is to choose what's right. I'm gonna go left or right. But where, where we kind of have a difficulty is, and, and the Bible has all those metaphors, transgression, rebellion, but there are so many more metaphors for sin that the Bible uses that, that, that belay a deep unknownness, blindness, deafness, drunkenness. You know, they all have in common is that they're just not in touch. Slavery. Yeah, exactly. So, so they're just not in touch. And what we want to do is help them realize, look, these are these areas where you are blind and you are deaf. And a lot of where that's going to come out is in their effective, that, like I said, that dis- disconnect between how they're acting and what they're saying. And we want to be attuned to that because that's going to come out in the relationship, right? Their, their insecurities, their fears, their desires, how they want to put themselves, how, how, how they want you to think of them. It's all going to come out in that relationship, whether they know it or not. Because again, that relationship is just a microcosm of how they're living in a macrocosm of their lives. And so we want to be attuned to that and help bring their attention to draw them to Christ-likeness in the moment. Hmm. Well, then I guess I just have have one last question for you, which is, how are you doing right now? (laughs) That's a a good question, Alistair. Am I allowed to say that? That's that's absolutely right. So you're you're bringing me into the moment. Here we are. I am enjoying this conversation, and it's it's been encouraging. And yet at the same time, there's a sense in which I want to make sure I'm articulating myself. I want to make sure that my, what I'm saying is, you know, co- makes sense. And I want to make sure that, that people walk away thinking, okay, this, there's something to be gleaned from existential psychology. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. 
Well, I am gleaning, so you've already succeeded in, in that particular goal very well. Um, Rick, thank you so much for, for coming on today, for, for sharing this with us. I feel like I have a lot to, to think about and take further here. I hope others will as well. Uh, any last just closing thought or comment you'd like to make? No, just, uh, just encouraged by the ministry that you guys have, and I'm so grateful for these podcasts as I am a student of them as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you, Alistair. If you enjoyed today's episode of CCEF on the Go, you might also appreciate a podcast I did with Mike Emlett a few years back called Working with What is Right in Front of You. You can find it at our podcast website, which is ccef.org slash podcast. It'll be available, posted right there on the page for the next week or two until we post the next episode. And, as always, if you have questions or comments or suggestions for us, we'd love to hear from you at podcast at ccef.org. Till next time, blessings. Thank you.